Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Now, it's Gabe time. Gabe Kuhn. Gabe Kuhn was one of the great little trivial nuggets in all football bios. His grandfather was the inventor of the Easy Bake Oven. Like a boss, the best lineman on the radio. Well, the only lineman on the radio. It's Gabe time. Game time. We're ready. The Gabe Kuhn Show. 92.9 FM ESPN. Happy Wednesday out there, December 13th, 2023. Welcome in to the Gabe Kuhn Show. I am your host, former Memphis Tiger offensive lineman Gabe Kuhn on X at G underscore Kuhn 71. I'm alongside the executive producer of the Gabe Kuhn Show. That would be Connor Dunning on X at C Dunning 99. Connor, what's the word, brother? What's up, man? Hanging in there? Oh, I'm hanging in there. Everybody knows the drill. Tonight, Celtic, 7 o'clock. Okay. Nice Christmas general knowledge trivia. Christmas general knowledge trivia. Next week, we're doing Christmas vacation. Oh, nice! Oh yes. Now is that is that we're gonna have to do Christmas movies and small talk. We will. At some point. We will. We'll do a top five. That's just like default number one for me. It's my a, number one. It's from a nostalgia standpoint, and I hate to be that guy. I know you don't usually pick on nostalgia, and it still might be your number one. But I oh, I'm nostalgia is huge. Huge factor in my movie, movie going ways. Okay. Oh yeah. Understood. Why? Space Jam is one of my favorite movies. <laughs> Understood. Okay, that makes sense. What about Space Jam Two? Yeah. Does that hurt LeBron's legacy? <laughs> we just don't talk about it. <laughs> I got you. I got you. But welcome in three hours of talk or two and a half hours of talk on the way, courtesy a ninety-two-nine FM ESPN. Yours truly. We're going to be out a little bit early. Um, we're going to send you off to Gary Darby for Grizzlies at Rockets. Of course, pregame at six thirty. Tip. Is at 7 o'clock. In the meantime, we have plenty to get to. Um, overreaction and not an overreaction off the top, as is customary on a Wednesday. We're going to talk about Draymond Green. Draymond Green again? Already? Already. Draymond Green does it again and just absolutely eliminates Yusuf Nurkic. Just, I mean, a turnaround punch that was heard around the world last night. Uh, and the, the NBA is going to have to decide on another suspension. He's going to get another suspension after getting a flagrant two for the, for the hit he, uh, he, he gave to uh, Yusuf Nurkic. But how long should it be? We'll discuss that. Uh, as well as today, this sort of hits me in the feels at least a little bit. The NFL this morning had a health and safety meeting. Um, and it was about a few different things that we'll discuss in just a moment. Um, but I have concerns. I have concerns about where we're headed with the game, with all of the health and safety measures that we're going forward with. Are we? I mean, we're already at a point where sometimes, at least for a quarterback in the pocket, and the you know, the the yeah, as far as the roughing the passer calls go, we're already at a place where some some parts about the NFL game are unrecognizable. But I think some of these things that we're doing um, in this health and safety meeting that we're talking about outlawing. I think we can go down that path further, and it's unfortunate. But we'll discuss that in just a second. Um, 
Also on the show today, we have Cam Newton, basically saying everybody is a game manager. <laughs> every every quarterback in the NFL is a game manager. I do not like the hate on Cam Newton, though, that, that came out of this clip on his podcast. Um, people are acting like Cam Newton was not a generational talent when he came into the NFL that was hurt by injuries. He was a generational talent. He was one of the best uh, dual-threat quarterbacks we've seen in the NFL. It just so happens that his shoulder couldn't hold up over the long haul. It's unfortunate, but I think people need to stop spreading the hate about Cam Newton. Um, also, temporary restraining order in the state of West Virginia that allows people that's going to allow transfers to immediately be eligible in college basketball. There's so much to get to in that regard. Um, we'll do a trip around the NFL at 5.30. As far as guests are concerned, Ty Richardson at 6 o'clock. Again, as is customary on a Wednesday from ESPN Arkansas, we'll talk about Taylor Green, who he actually had on the show today, on his show today, the morning rush. Taylor Green's the new transfer quarterback at Arkansas, still wondering what KJ Jefferson's going to do. And Taylor Green, if that name sounds familiar, it should sound familiar because he is the Boise State quarterback that played here uh, in Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium earlier this year. And then Jeff Calkins, as always, at five o'clock. Daily Memphian columnist and from the Jeff Calkins show. Before we get to this Draymond ejection, we had the polls of ejections last night. We had Draymond's, which was completely understandable. He needs to be suspended for it, whole nine yards. We also had Nikola Jokic getting eject- ejected in Chicago on Serbian Heritage Night. He's from Serbia. On Serbian Heritage Night, all these people from Chicago come out to go watch Nikola Jokic and the refs took it upon themselves to eject him for arguing a call, which, by the way, he should have gotten. Got hacked at the rim. On the other end, they called a foul on one of his teammates on Kobe White. It was ridiculous, but they end up ejecting him. The funny part about this whole thing, yes, not just Serbian Heritage Night, did you know that Chicago, outside of, outside of uh, Serbia, Chicago holds the most Serbian population in the entire world? It's second it's second as far as the city is concerned. And I, I saw Nikola Jokic after the game basically say, I wish they would have done this in Serbia. It probably would have not gone over as well. It didn't go over well last night. The amount of boos that these refs got is unbelievable. But I, I, there comes a point with the, the NBA officiating. They are so not just shaky at times with just calls up and down the floor, but how hurt they get by people – by people arguing calls, the amount of just I mean, how emotional they are. It should never be like that. I, and Nikola Jokic's ejection last night was one of the worst I've ever seen. And I don't think there's really – I mean, this year I don't know if there's a close second. A player shouldn't be ejected. For unless, arguing a call. Unless fists are being thrown. Like, yeah. unless punches have been thrown, somebody should not be ejected. Unless, it, like, a physical act happens that puts somebody in danger or somebody has clearly crossed the line – they should not be ejected. I have been on this for a long time. You have too. The referees in the NBA right now might be the worst they've ever been. Truly, night to night, they always insert themselves into the game. Not a single person is watching these games to see these referees. We should not know their names. We know a no. lot of their names. That should not be a thing. They should have to do interviews after the game to explain themselves. They do. They do. They have done interviews, but their interviews don't actually give us get us to the bottom of the the, I'm talking uh, about the, press the whole conference. thing. I mean, the, the, they're the, petty and they're bad. It's ridiculous. There was a poll report where they uh, sort of talked to the 
uh, referee that ejected Nikola Jokic, and he said that we thought the language he used rose to an ejection. They're like, well, we thought the language, and he just kept saying that. And it was only his first technical foul where he got ejected. It's just embarrassing. And here's the other part of it that really bothers me. Nikola Jokic is an MVP of this league. He's the best player in this league. Statistically speaking, he probably can win another MVP, should win another MVP this year. They just won an NBA Finals. He should get the benefit of the doubt. Yes. That Draymond Green has gotten for years and years and years. He should have to punch the referee to get ejected. Draymond Green. Especially on Serbia the, 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 the amount he loses his mind when it's crazy. a call goes against him and he doesn't get ejected. To see what Nikola Jokic did last night was just, it was soft. It was the, one of the softest ejections in NBA history, quite frankly, and I thought it was embarrassing. Now, without further ado, let's get into overreaction, not an overreaction, because uh, there was an ejection that wasn't so soft last night. Now, it's overreaction or not an overreaction. We are to Wild and Crazy Guy. That's crazy. Chill, homie. On the Gabe Cujo from 92.9. All right. Draymond Green slugged Yusuf Nurkic in the face last night. Yeah, that he did. That not he surprising. Did. Not surprising. We all saw this coming. But he was ejected for a flagrant two. This is not far removed from his run-in with Rudy Gobert that landed him a five-game suspension. If the NBA knows what's good for them, it's time to suspend Draymond Green for double-digit games. Overreaction or not an overreaction? Uh, before I give you my answer there, to hear Draymond Green's explanation, like he, he apologized to Yusuf Nurkic, but the tone he used was just like, yeah, you know, you know that when I really want to uh, inflict pain on somebody else, I'll do that. So if I do something accidentally, I'll definitely say sorry. He just, the tone he used did not sound sorry by any stretch of the imagination. And then he said, my favorite part of it, he said, I don't think I'm a good enough puncher to do a 360 and uh, and land a, a, a right hook directly on someone's side of the face. Well, you did it last night, Draymond. And he said, I'm not that accurate of a puncher. Whatever. I'm tired of his explanations. This is not an overreaction in the slightest. He needs to get double-digit games. Adam Silver, make something happen here. This happens way too often. It disrupts game flow. It disrupts everybody. You're, you're, you're leaving players out there that are guarding Draymond Green or that Draymond Green is guarding. You're leaving them up to potentially get hurt every time he does something like this. We're not that far removed from him stepping directly on the chest of DeMontis Sabonis. And let's be honest, that could have been a lot worse uh, injury-wise than it ended up being. I mean, Draymond Green's 250, 260 pounds. He's 6'8", and he stomped directly on his chest. But either way, we need to nip this in the bud immediately. And it's getting frustrating to see him continually get off the hook. I don't think he gets off the hook. This should be 10-plus games, and I, I think it should be really easy. He, not only is, a repeat, is he a repeat offender, but he's a repeat offender very quickly. This, is, this, this turnaround from the situation that unfolded with Rudy Gobert putting him in a headlock to, to now with Yusuf Nurkic, him flailing around and hitting him in the face, this was a quick, quick turnaround. So 10 games plus, and I don't even think it should be a debate. And I'm getting sick of this. And, and know what I'm really getting sick of more than anything, Connor? After the game, Steve Kerr stepped up to the podium. And we know that a couple of years ago, the breaking the code conversation he had about Dylan Brooks with his foul on Gary Payton II. I just want to see one time Steve Kerr have the same energy toward a guy on his team who does worse in Draymond Green that he had for, that he had for Dylan Brooks. At some point, you have to lose your mind on Draymond Green to get the point across. 
But all he said when he stepped up uh, after the game in this presser is, oh, he just needs to keep his poise. He just needs to keep his poise. He loses his poise constantly. And he does things like this constantly. Lose your mind on him like you lost your mind on Dylan Brooks. Show the same energy. Because we know Draymond Green's wrong. Draymond Green knows he's wrong. Make it known that you're not going to stand by and let this happen. Because I think ultimately, uh, listen, I think that Draymond Green, the edge he brings is why Draymond Green is a future Hall of Famer. I don't think anybody would argue that. But at some point, at some point, Steve Kerr has to realize this is a problem for the Warriors and that you can't stand idly by and just be a, a bystander constantly when Draymond Green does these things down the road of his antics. So I, I, I want to see Steve Kerr actually uh, take it upon himself to, to sort of lead Draymond Green down the righteous path and make it to where he's not losing his poise. He's got to keep his poise. He's got to keep his poise. He never keeps his poise, Steve, and you just allow it to happen. So you do something about it. It hasn't even been a month. It was November 14th when he put Rudy Gobert in a headlock. November 14th. And less than a month later, he is punching somebody in the face. And it's so ridiculous, the excuses that he continues to try to use. <laughs> he was, like you said, I don't he think said, I'm accurate enough I was, to do a 360 and I was hit somebody in the face the on call. purpose. I was trying to sell the call, and unfortunately I hit him. Yeah, you were selling the call where his face was. And that's by going, the way, that's a punch. what call were you selling? Yeah, what was it? I'm not sure what he you was were selling, but you got to do a 360 with your arms failing, flailing. Yeah, it's uh, the hypocrisy from the Warriors. I'm over it. I've been over it for a while. When Draymond Green did it on November 14th, I was calling for a 10-plus game suspension because I knew this was going to happen again. A five-game suspension to Draymond Green at this point in his career is nothing. He does not care. You have to make him feel it. You have got to make the team feel it. You have to make Steve Kerr feel it. You talk about nipping this in the bud, you can't. It's an oak tree now. It's a redwood. It's grown into a redwood in the forest because they. this has been going on for a decade now. There are highlight reels that are five-plus minutes of him just hurting people. And that's to the point that you made. The thing that's bothersome about this whole Draymond Green thing is it's not like he's just doing things to annoy guys or cussing guys out or getting loud and obnoxious. He's, he's physically hurting these players. He's putting Rudy Gobert in a headlock. He's stopping on chess. He's ripping Brandon Clark down from a layup. He's, he's and punching by the way, guys Brandon the Clark face. could have gotten so severely injured from it's, that play. At some point. No, we're rewinding. We've got to stop waiting for him to severely hurt somebody before you slap him with a major suspension. And let's be honest, the language that they used when he got suspended for five games was the same language that they used when John Morant. Morant. So bring bring the hammer. It's time. All right. This is the third ejection this season. Third this season. We're not even twenty five games into the year. That's crazy. This behavior has gone unchecked for too long, and it's ramping up. He, he is pushing the limits. He is the Raptors from Jurassic Park. He is testing the fences, <laughs> and that five-game suspension showed him the fences have no electricity, so I can do whatever the hell I want to. Yes. So he's bring on, the T-Rex. He's on a $25 million a year contract ridiculous. to play basketball, and he rarely plays basketball. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, man. I, I'm, I'm just getting I'm, – I'm, I'm so tired of it, and you talk about um, sort of the back and forth or, or – um, where the Warriors don't nip it in the bud, and how uh, the lack of seriousness I take when it comes to Steve Kerr at the podium. I, I like even when he did the breaking the code thing. It was just the most ridiculous 
possible thing he could have said in that moment about Dylan Brooks. Because even before that, this was Draymond Green kicking Stephen Adams in the nads. He had multiple examples. Eye gouging. But, <laughs> but quite frankly, <laughs> Connor, here's, for the here's, why, here's why it needs to get to double digits plus. It's getting more frequent. Yes. Because Draymond Green is getting older, and the whole basketball playing and the athleticism and everything is leaving him uh, at least a tad bit. So he's he's doing less of playing basketball and more of being an enforcer or being a goon out there. And we have no place for that in the NBA. This is not the 90s or the 80s or the 70s where you need guys like Bill Lambeer laying people out constantly and hurting them. At least they were letting Dream people Green out just, that were going to the rim. It, it, but there, there just comes a point where Adam Silver, I know that Draymond Green and the Warriors and Steph Curry and Steve Kerr have been moneymakers for you, but you still have to treat them like you'd treat anybody else. If this was somebody on the Grizzlies, who, if this was Steven Adams who constantly did this on, on the Grizzlies, you would have given him a double-digit suspension by now. Treat him the same. Treat Draymond Green the same on the back end. It's just frustrating and I think we're at this point where the NBA, ball is in your court. Go make something happen. Show us that you actually want to nip this in the bud and you're not just talking about it. And same with Steve Kerr, brother. Like, just stop being a bystander with this whole thing. And, and don't lecture people on breaking the code when you have a consistent code breaker. One of the most, if not the most consistent code breakers on your team. And he's done it his entire career. I mean, in and it's getting more frequent NBA, now. In the history of the NBA, so he is up there. I, I just stop stop stepping up to the press or, or the, the, the press every time he gets ejected and saying, well, he just he's got to be better about keeping his poise. He clearly can't do it. You lead him down that well, path. Well, this is also the second straight time. Steve Kerr, because when the headlock happened, Steve Kerr was like, I didn't see it. It's like, what do you mean you didn't see oh, it? <laughs> That's gosh. ridiculous. First of all, Rudy Gobert's 7 3. You're going to see if somebody jumps up and has and him also, in a headlock. And also, by the way, you're Draymond dragged him a good yeah. five feet yeah. out of the pot. Yeah, you're going to see it, Bird you Box. Saw it. Okay, Bird Box. Yeah, exactly. This time around, he said he hasn't had a chance to see the replay. But by the time he got to the podium, when Dylan Brooks you know, quote-unquote murdered Gary Payton II. Apparently he had seen it enough times, like the Zapruder film from JFK. So what's going on here? I know you've seen a replay. Go up there, hold your guys accountable. It's ridiculous at this point. You have let this gone on far too long. The rest of the NBA is tired of it. It's reckless. It's dangerous. you got to hit him with the 10-plus suspension. To be honest, in my opinion, it should probably be 15 games plus. Yes. I'm over it. I'm way over this. Somebody's going to get majorly and, and, hurt. And, and, and to your point, he could have broken some You're not. And here's ribs. the thing. Me and you I'm having it. these conversations, us being over it, it's everybody right now. It's just com- if you're not a Warriors fan, if you're not a Warriors fan, you're not. You're not backing this up. Because it's not you're, just you, you, this. you think this this that that this needs to be a double digit suspension. You think that this needs to be a double digit game suspension. And there should be no less. It's just it, it just encapsulates, I think, the feeling that a lot of people have had about this whole Warriors run and the privilege that they have had with the referees. Draymond acts a fool all the time. He yells, he screams, he runs up and down the court, he throws the ball, he does all of these things, never gets ejected, never gets teased. He's a, they are, The Warriors are allowed to get away with such levels of complaining and freaking out when if you sneeze towards the then, direction then of one you, of them, then if you're you a player, MV- technical. Then you, technical. Ha- then you have an NBA MVP and a finals winner last Serbia year night. getting Ridiculous. thrown out on Serbian Heritage Night in Chicago just for arguing a call. And I thought he was relatively within himself in arguing that call. He wasn't running at the ref, That's a uh, threatening the ref. That's a it's tale just, as old as time. It's, it's, the referee missing a call and throwing out the player. Now, can I say this, though? Sure. On the Warriors' front, 
it's kind of fun to see them not know how to play basketball. I know it's great. Anymore. It's pretty. It's pretty fantastic. Um, Andrew Wiggins has no idea how to play basketball anymore. Three points last night. Um, Clay Thompson is awful. He's been really bad this year. Uh, historic lows for him in shooting. He's under forty percent from the field and under thirty five percent from three. That's fun to watch. Um, and then last night down the stretch of that game, did you see their their finishing lineup? No Kavon Looney, no Andrew Wiggins, no Clay Thompson. It's beautiful. It's beautiful to watch. The only thing that was not beautiful to watch is Draymond Green hitting and slugging Yusuf Nurkic in the face. And Yusuf Nurkic and the meme that has been created, I don't know what's wrong with that, brother. That's going to that's gonna stick around for a while. That's going to stick around for the while. And by the way, um, when we're talking about health and safety, that's we're gonna, what we're going to get to. I think the NBA needs to take it upon themselves to uh, uphold health and safety by suspending Draymond Green for 10-plus games, 15-plus games, whatever that number is, but it needs to be double digits. Speaking of health and safety, next up, Albert Breer reported health and safety was on the NFL's agenda this morning at their meetings. Three specific plays were discussed. Those three hip-drop tackles, split flow block, and a push play. The, the tush push. The, pu- the tush push. The tush push. I think we're all on board with uh, making the game as safe as possible, but... The NFL is going too far with their health and safety protocols. Overreaction, not an overreaction. Not an overreaction. And here's here's where I want to say, you know, the hip drop tackle is very dangerous. Um, but at the same time, you know what a hip drop tackle is, Connor? I, I hate I, people are going to probably come after me for this, but this is the truth of it. You know what it is? It's a tackle. When you're wrapping somebody up from the side, wrapping somebody up from behind, sometimes you're just trying to get them to the ground. And defensive players should not have to think that much when they're out there trying to go make tackles. You shouldn't be headhunting and launching at people's skulls, uh, launching at people's helmets. I get all that. That should be penalized still. But when I'm just trying to make a tackle from behind on a guy running away from me, I can't stop in a split second and think about how I'm getting him to the ground. I'm trying to get him to the ground. Now, I saw that hip drop tackles are likely going to be outlawed or banned in some way, shape, or form, but I don't know how that's going to work. You're penalizing guys for making tackles. And quite frankly, Connor, the game of football is dangerous in general. Any type of tackle could lead to a severe injury. I get that the hip drop tackle, we have some statistics on it and everything else. But any type of tackle can lead to injury. And I don't know that you can tell a defender to think that much in that moment to not do a quote-unquote hip drop tackle. Logan Wilson's tackle on Mark Andrews is the most uh, recent example we have of this, where, where Mark Andrews ended up um, breaking his ankle. And I understand, I feel bad for Mark Andrews, but at the same time, Logan Wilson's trying to make a football play. If you ask him to think too much about making that play, maybe he gets injured on the back, and we've seen that happen. We had a couple of examples when they uh, implemented the new roughing the passer rules, where guys are trying to roll off top of the quarterback and keep themselves off the quarterback. They're getting injured. So I just think... It, Football is a game where you act on instinct. And, and, and outlawing a hip drop tackle takes away instinct. You cannot, you cannot think about how you're tackling a guy and getting him to the ground. You just have to get him to the ground. Now, the split flow or split zone uh, block is interesting. I, I, I'm not going to think too hard about it. You, if you outlaw a split zone um, block in general where the tight end comes across the formation to go kick out a D end, I think that's ridiculous. If you're saying they can't cut that D end, Okay, I can get on board with that. That could be a, a example 
where maybe guys are, are putting themselves or putting other guys in harm's way. Although, from a statistics standpoint, I don't think we've seen a whole lot of injuries from guys getting cut on the backside of plays by tight ends. And then the tush push. You know where I'm at on this, Connor. Why? We've made it legal to push guys forward across a first down uh, marker, whether it's uh, the tush push and a quarterback sneak or a guy catches the ball at the sticks and there's another wide receiver or an old lineman near him that they push him across the first down marker. The only reason, this is what I want the NFL to admit, like the rest of the NFL to admit, it's not about the tush push and health and safety. It's, it's not about health and safety. In fact, I don't know of a single example, Connor. Can you bring up one off the top of your head? A single example where the brotherly shove with the, the, the Eagles has led to an injury. I, I, I can't think of a meaningful example of that. The statistics are probably very low on injuries happening on that particular play as compared to other regular offensive plays. So stop saying it's about health and safety. Just say that you think it's a cheat code for the Eagles and they're too good at it, so you want to outlaw it. Just say that. That would make me understand it a little bit more and, and, it, and you'd at least admit why you want it banned. It's just frustrating, man, because I think we're getting to a point where <laughs> we're just we're we're not able to recognize the same game. It's not the same game that I grew up watching. There's some things that I like that they've done. Uh, you know, hitting guys directly in the head and launching at them, trying to hurt them when they're coming across the middle, wide receivers, whatever, what have you. Like I I think that should be banned. But some of these plays that we've been banning lately in the name of quote unquote health and safety. We have, to, we have to move back to where we start recognizing this game. And if you, if you go down the, the, uh, the route, go down the uh, way of, of banning all of these plays, the tush push, um, the hip drop tackles, the split flow block, again, this game just gets more and more unrecognizable. And that frustrates me being a lifelong football uh, player and, and a guy who follows the sport very closely. Yeah, I think uh... – I understand the reasoning for having – I don't understand the reasoning for the, the tush-push being in there because, yeah, in my opinion, that's just the rest of the NFL's bothered by that they just can't stop it. And it's like, sorry, that's part of the game. I, nobody's getting hurt because that play's happening except for your you know goal line stats. That's what's being hurt. So you're not going to yep. change a rule because of that. The hip drop thing is, is the one that's interesting because I just – I wonder if there's a version of a rule they could come up with where it's just the egregious ones. Like yeah. when, it, when it's obvious the only way you could get somebody down is by just going, you know, limp and holding on to them. Those are extremely dangerous. But like the bang-bang ones, I'm not sure you can officiate those because a lot of times I mean, it example, is just kind the of example a The example that's coming up is Logan Wilson on Mark Andrews, and I don't know uh, – like what's another way to bring him down in that situation when you're behind him trying to drag him down? And, and make sure he doesn't get a touchdown. The, the problem with that one was I think he dropped to the side. It, it's There's got to be – if there's a way where a guy is holding on to a bigger running back or wide receiver and all he can do is drop to get him down, there's got to be a, a, a way to do it that isn't inherently dangerous and is going to break a leg, snap a leg. Because we do have to be honest about it. The, the worst injuries we see are because of hip drop yeah. tackles. So that's why I agree with you. There's no way to get rid of it completely, but can you maybe do a rule that gets rid of the egregiousness of it or the ones that are obvious? And it's like, hey, you can you can tackle somebody, you can bring them down, just don't but drop then, to the okay, side and wrap their let legs. Me, let me you. bring this example up, Nick Chubb. Remember earlier in the year, Minka Fitzpatrick goes low on him and his leg just snaps. Right? Yeah. You remember that? Are we going to cut cut 
cut tackles? I'm not sure that's the same thing. It's it's very similar. No, they're, they're, I don't they're, think they're, that's the same thing at all. If you if you cut somebody's legs out, there is a very high risk that's for injury. The There's a risk all. for injury. There's but no question about it. He was coming from the it. front. That's that. That's a very different play. It's but a it, very but, different but, play. but you get my point. I in get the your fact, point. In it's the fact that in general, it's a violent sport. Injuries happen. You just try to get guys down to the ground and. It's unfortunate the guys get hurt in these situations, but I don't need my defenders thinking and, and not acting on instinct. See ball, get ball, go tackle the guy. That's what the game of football has always been. And, and when you cut something like this out, you're you're, you're you're leaving you're leaving guys up to think too much, and I think that could lead to more injuries on the back end. Again, that's just my thoughts, but I, I think that's where we're at right this second. And by the way, on the tush push thing, this is this is my thought process. If you don't like it because it's too much of a cheat code for the Eagles, let's not stop there, right? Let's not stop there. Justin Tucker's too automatic as a field goal kicker. <laughs> Just let him get him out of the league, right? Jake oh, Elliott. too high, too high, uh, too high safeties. The cover two is too good of a defense to play against Patrick Mahomes. Uh, get rid of the cover two defense. You see where where that starts to get stupid? The offside where that starts let's get rid to of get, it. But you see where that starts to get ridiculous? Yeah. If somebody does something well, we should, we should be praising them. We should be giving them a lot of love, not trying to take away what they do well. That has been one of my biggest frustrations around the entire conversation with the tush push. And people will say, well, someone's going to get hurt eventually. Well, they haven't yet. And we've been seeing this for the past two years. The weirdest thing about that one is we have examples of other teams trying it and not being able to do it. It's a personnel thing. The reason the Eagles are so successful is because of the line that they have and because Jalen Hurts is built like a truck. Maybe it's because (laughs) Jalen Hurts squats 650-plus pounds. Pretty good. Jason Kelsey, the same thing. And also, Jason Kelsey is six foot two, and he gets (laughs) under everybody. Maybe that's why they're so good at it. Maybe it's personnel and the fact that they practice it and put it into motion in practice and then bring it to the game. The Hall of Fame center might have something to do with it. Is that what you're telling me? Exactly. Give them praise. Don't go after them because they do something well. Who tried it? Was it the commanders? There, there was there was one example where there was a field goal formation. The Chiefs tried to do it oh, earlier. The there was a field oh, goal formation. Oh, field that's goal even formation, better. and they tried to do a tush push over top. It didn't come close. Yes, but if somebody does something well, we shouldn't be trying to penalize them. We should be just another them. example of the Chiefs trying to change the rules for them. How dare they? <laughs> it's ridiculous, man. It's ridiculous. I don't think all three of these will be outlawed. It looks like hip drops, hip drop tackles. The touch push is just ridiculous. I mean, there's no way that gets. There's so, no reason. So the hip drop tackles are the ones that look like they're going to be outlawed. But I just want to see how that actually looks in real time. It's going to have. It, I. It's going to be one of those. It's going to get broken. Somebody down gets tackled like, like that. At least twice, three times a game. It's going to get broken down like it, like the launch, like the targeting. Like you, there's going to be very specific movements tells. that have to. Yes, tells it. It's going to be like just don't drop to the side when you're when there's one guy on you. It's going to be something simple like that. It's there's got to be some provision. I understand that one a little bit more. I agree with you. You can't do the bang bang, and it's going to still happen. But you know. If it could save one snap leg, maybe it's worth it. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. But I'm of the opinion the it, may, push is ridiculous. it may end up with the hip drop tackles. It may end up like the uh, trial and error we had on uh, pass interference a couple years ago, reviews on pass interference. Because like, it's just it's so hard yeah. for a linebacker and a defender to decide how he's going to take a guy down. <laughs> like You just have to go tackle the guy at some point. And it's just hard for them to, in a bang-bang moment like that, when they're trying to prevent somebody from getting a touchdown or prevent somebody from getting a first down, to think about how they're taking down a guy. Fair. And, it, and, and we already have a long, like the, 
the the strike zone, if you will. You can't hit the head. You're you're getting to the point where you may not be able to hit the legs with a hip drop tackle. That strike zone just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. That is it is it is not a enviable enviable position to be a damn defender in the NFL right now. And I think we can all admit that. Yeah, I do agree with that. It's, it is it's they've tough. made it they have made it very difficult to be a defender because you, the offensive player is able to pretty much do whatever they want and to. And then and then uh, as far as quarterbacks are concerned with Ruth being the quarterback, you can go sack the guy but you can't land on top of him. That's even, so even, dumb. even even if your momentum is taking you right on top of them, you can't land your weight on them. It's just it's hard to be a defender in this day and age of uh, college football and NFL. It's tough. It's bang bang and if we just keep adding these 15-yard penalties, <laughs> I know we want to see offense, but damn, I want some give and take here. And it feels like it's just going to be a completely offensive game if we keep giving all these guys 15-yard penalties for every way that they tackle them that you deem dangerous. Why don't we put flags on them? That's how you get rid of the hip drop. You just pull the flag. <laughs> I mean, there's some people that will go down that uh, that route and say, we <laughs> at some point we're going to be at seven on sevens. I don't think we'll get there. Could you imagine Tyreek Hill in flag football I think trying that, to catch him? Oh, my God. I think ultimately when we talk about health and safety and, and where we've how far we've swung in one direction, I think we need to swing back a little bit. Sure. I don't, I don't I can think we're going to swing back. I don't think that's how that's going to work, but I think we do need to swing back. And quite frankly, a lot of these rules are implemented because we have highly paid players with with franchises that don't want to see those highly paid players break ankles. And, and we don't want to see any injuries, but these guys are protect, protecting their quote-unquote investments. And I, I understand that, especially on the offensive end. But I think we need to swing back this health and safety we need to swing back to where we were at least a tad. We need to tush push it back in the right direction. Yes, tush. Yeah, give it a little tush push. Yeah. Give it a little tush push. Now we're live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios and Service Master by Cornerstone. They're your local hometown responders. They are the greatest. They're the largest franchise in a 600-mile radius, but don't just call them because they're the largest. Call them because they're the best. They've been awarded Service Master's Franchise of the Year Award, meaning they're the number one Service Master Restore franchise in the United States of America. And it, it could be water damage. It could be um, fire, uh, fire and their smoke damage. You could need mold remediation. I know we're getting into the cold weather months, so if you have frozen pipes or bursted pipes, make sure you call them because last year at the end of 2022, they helped tons of commercial, residential buildings, homes with those frozen pipes from that winter storm we had last year. So no matter the place, no matter the size, make sure you call them. They are here to help with the damage. Tyler and his team, Tyler's the president and owner of Service Master by Cornerstone, they take pride in responding and helping you at moments like this. Their motto is, we don't pray for disaster. We just pray we get called when there is one. So remember the name, locally owned, locally operated. Service Master by Cornerstone. And I've mentioned that word, respond. That's an active word because that is part of their number. 901-RESPOND is how you reach Service Master by Cornerstone. 901-R-E-S-P-O-N-D, 901-RESPOND. For your hometown helpers that take pride in responding in your time of need. Service Master by Cornerstone. Now, we have to go ahead and get to a break. When we come back, Penny Hardaway did join Jason and John earlier and uh, let us know a couple of things. Is Naquan Tomlin going to be joining here soon? He didn't get to mention him by name because he's still a commit, um, but he did mention something about reinforcements. And also, the Jordan Brown saga continues. We'll discuss next. 92.9 FM ESP. Guests appear on the Smile Center Hotline. Now back to the Gabe Kuhn Show, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 92.9 FM ESPN. Be 
back into the Gabe Coon Show, 92.9 FM ESPN. And on 92.9 FM ESPN earlier at about 1 o'clock, Penny Hardaway, the head coach, University of Memphis basketball team, did join Jason and John ahead of his team's massive matchup against number 13 Clemson on Saturday. And a few things were discussed. I want to start with probably the most negative of the, of the discussions. That would be Jordan Brown. And what Penny Hardaway had to say about Jordan Brown didn't really uh, didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, he's still he's still standing by what he has said um, about Jordan Brown this entire time. He basically reiterated that he feels as if um, he has not learned anything new, and that Jordan Brown is still sick, um, and that he is he's not he doesn't know anything further. Than that, And this is going to be my one negative thought on this entire interview that he had with Jason and John. I find that to be very disingenuous. <laughs> I'm going to be completely honest with you. I mean, it, it doesn't matter ultimately with Naquan Tomlin coming in and what the reinforcements you will have um, in the front court here coming soon, sure. But I do think for him to play coy, to play dumb about what he his, what he knows about Jordan Brown is very disingenuous. Maybe there's some things behind closed doors that they have to work out before they immediately make that announcement. Um, but in my opinion, as a coach um, at a, a Division One basketball school, I think you should be in the know about what your players are doing constantly. Um, I do think he knows. I just don't think he's telling us at this particular moment. Um, but if the thought process behind it is that he does not know what's going on with Jordan Brown, I don't think that's a good message to put out. Well, it's just it's one that – I just don't think anybody really buys. And that's where I understand if they want to keep some things behind closed doors, if there are still some things they need to work out, that's fine. You just say that. Yes. <laughs> you, don't need to, exactly. you don't need to say, I, I don't know I what's think going he's still on. Sick. Because yes. we all know that Penny Hardaway well, knows what's going on. Well, but if you're saying, okay, basketball program. Let's, let's, let's go off the, let's just. Say he does not know what's going on. Isn't that a bad thing as well? That's kind of what I mean. No, that's exactly what I mean. Is like, that it's a lose lose. You're either not telling us enough or not not being honest with us, or you really don't know what's going on with your basketball it's just, program. It's an odd, Both indictments. It's an odd story to try to sell because yes. they're like, we know that you know. It's fine that you don't want to tell. Like that's where I'm like, it's okay if you don't want to tell us right now. We all know something's going on. It's <laughs> right. I'm under the assumption that he probably won't be playing for Memphis. I hope he's not sick and something like that's not going on. If they're trying to work it out, great. But from what we have heard, it sounds like he will not be playing for the Tigers moving forward. Just say there are some things that we are working out with Jordan Brown. His status moving forward is unclear. Just say that. Don't tell us that you don't know what's going on because we're not going to buy that. Now, this That's is really this is what felt particularly honest. Now, beyond the Jordan Brown thing, yes. you brought in a uh, guy in Naquan Tomlin who's committed, who's going to be on this team at some point this year. We just don't know when. He's a grad transfer from Kansas State. He just graduated. Uh, but you have to work out some things, get him enrolled in school before he plays for the University of Memphis. Um, obviously, he couldn't name him by name. He could not bring up Naquan Tomlin, but he did – Mentioned that against Clemson, number 13 team in the country, on Saturday in FedEx Forum, he says he does not expect quote-unquote reinforcements. So that should tell you just about all you need to know. Um, there was some thought from John Rothstein in a, in a story that he tabbed, a report that he tabbed. There was some thought that Naquan Tomlin would be able to play against Clemson, but based on what Penny Hardaway said, it doesn't seem like that's a viable option. And, I, you know, if, if I'm just reading the tea leaves and, and, and thinking about how hard it would be to turn around that quick for Naquan Tomlin, I don't know if that's a realistic thought process to have him play against Clemson. If he did play, it would be very short minutes um, because he's not 
introduce the team. He's not familiar with his surroundings. Right, he doesn't right. know what Penny expects. He doesn't know their sets. He doesn't know their defensive sets. He doesn't know any of those things yet. So he has to get introduced before you expect him to play. That wasn't surprising to me, but I thought it was very honest, open, and, and truthful from Penny Hardaway as opposed to the Jordan Brown conversation. Right. It was almost a 180 type of answer for sure. Um, yeah, I guess the reinforcement is clearly Naquan Tomlin. Uh you want him against Clemson, for sure, especially with how their team is built, with their best players, a big man. You hope that he can play against Virginia. It's still pr- a pretty quick turnaround, December 19th, for that Virginia game, but that is a 22nd-ranked team in the country, home game, so maybe he can get in there. The expectation, I would say, is that you absolutely expect to see him Vander- by Vanderbilt, right? Uh, yeah, I, sure. I, I've heard that mentioned. I, I I don't really have an expectation, Connor, quite frankly. Um, well, I think they my, 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 <laughs> they, they yes, no, no, my minimum expectation is by conference play. He's going to be a part of this team and rolling and uh, a part of the rotation, getting 15 to 20 minutes. You feel comfortable about where he's at by the time they get to conference play. But as of right this second, I weirdly enough, I don't have an expectation for when he's going to hit campus because quite frankly, this is unpre- This is not <laughs> we don't have pr- a bunch of precedent for a guy transferring from one school to another nine games into the season and then getting eligible. And being immediately eligible. This is unprecedented. So, again, I think my expectation would be by conference play, he's a part of this team and rolling, and that front court is better because of it. But in the next few games, the out-of-conference slate, I, I, I don't know if I have any expectation of him playing. But if he does, I think it's a pleasant surprise. Right, I don't think anybody's going to be mad about that. But he stretched the imagination. He did mention um, when he's talking about leadership and guys that have sacrificed and guys that have grown up before his eyes that have come in of these transfers that have been sort of a focal point um, and a guy that people can learn from as far as getting used to the system and sacrificing. He said Caleb Mills has been that guy. And yeah. I think it really does show on the court. Caleb Mills has played various different roles. He started at points this season. He's mostly come off the bench. And the production has still stayed relatively high. And I think that, you know, as much as we talk about David Jones and Javon Quinterly and, and Malcolm Dandridge, his emergence this year and how he has played, Caleb Mills does deserve more credit than I think he's gotten to this point in the season. This is a guy who was at Houston. Uh, he was a young player there. He was still somewhat of a focal point. Went to Florida State because he could transfer and play for Leonard Hamilton. He was a focal point there. He comes here, and he's not necessarily the focal point, but he is still playing within himself, playing within the offense, and not trying to uh, look out for himself every step of the way. I think Caleb Mills deserves a lot more credit than we've given him to this point, and Penny Hardaway saying that definitely adds to it. For sure. I mean, you can just turn back the clock one game to the Texas A&M game. Caleb Mills hit two massive threes and played tremendous defense down the stretch of that game. He did exactly what you wanted him to. He does the dirty work for this team, and he hasn't been complaining about his role. That's exactly what you wanted. Penny has talked about how this is a team where guys have to make sacrifices, and the good news is it appears a few guys have. You know, they're still tr- they're still kind of figuring out their pecking order, but I think it's pretty clear that David Jones and Javon Quinterly are at the top there, and then everybody else below them still kind of figuring it out. But guys like Caleb Mills and Nick Jordan are why this team has been successful so far this season. Of course, you know, David Jones, Javon Quinterly, they deserve a lot of the credit. But they wouldn't have won some of these games without guys like Caleb Mills. Yeah. I mean, six of nine games, he's been in double figures. Yeah. And they need all offense he's been on really deck. good. They need that. Really they good. Need that. His defense has been very good. His defense has been good. He's a disruptor. He can handle the ball for you. He's been the perfect utility wing for this team. And I think he can continue to do that. Now, it is nice 
when Penny Hardaway was asked by Jason and John about where they stand as far as AP Top 25 and the respect they may not be getting, it's nice to see Penny Hardaway sort of in the same exact boat as, as us. Um, he mentioned um, that they disrespect us, talking about national media, the AP poll. He said, it's like they want us in a separate category. I'm numb to it. It's like they want to put us in a 7, 8, 9, 10 range in the NCAA tournament. That's what it feels like. It, it, it's the truth of it. And it's nice to see someone who is directly involved in what the Tigers have accomplished this year. It's nice to see someone sort of back up that thought process. This is not a new thing for the University of Memphis, though, being underestimated. It's happened in the past, whether it be drama, whether it be moving parts. We get all that. But it's clear that the national media does not respect this team on the level that we respect them in this city and what we've seen from them all nine games. We have seen that they are one of the 25 best teams in this country. We have seen that what, they can beat top 25 teams. We have seen that they can beat three teams or four teams now in, in the top 50 of Ken Palm. Then they lose a couple of games and they get docked massively for it. That's got to be a frustrating thing for Penny Hardaway because I know it's frustrating for us as we keep coming in here on Mondays after seeing them win big ball games and they're still left out. So two things here. I fully agree with you. It was awesome to hear Penny talk about how they feel disrespected and things like that. I love that Penny is fired up about it. That's good. That's good. Two, the second, second thing, part. You this know, is a but. You know, no, it's not a but. Okay. It's a good but. You know, as a coach, having the motivating stuff like it's that. It's huge. He loves it. Yes. He's like, you know that Penny loves it because he's like, this is the you start perfect every morning bulletin meeting. board material. Yes. They don't believe in you. They're doubting you. They underestimate you. Go out and prove it. You've got two games coming up that are huge. You can even throw Vanderbilt in there. you got three games coming up that are huge. If you win all of these games on top of Texas, be undeniable. Yes. Be undeniable. What, what you I, know he loves it. It's perfect what, bulletin board what material. What was always said behind closed doors, whether it was Justin Fuente, whether it was Mike Norvell, I always remember these three words, leave no doubt. Undeniable. And quite frankly, Connor, I don't know if they've left doubt to this point. They haven't. <laughs> they haven't. But I mean, I mean, I guess the Ole Miss lost, but Ole Miss is undefeated. Um, I, I guess Villanova, but Villanova neutral side on the road, three games in three days. Like, there's ways to... Explain your way through those losses that I don't think national media is actually going to latch on to. But then when they when they talk about you know beating Arkansas, beating Michigan, and beating A and M, it always comes down to let me see you do it again. Well, I've seen you. Have you seen them do it three times? Their yeah. resume is better than 95 uh, percent of the country, and right it's happening now. on the road. It's not like they can even. But say, I do agree with you. This is road. a massive rallying cry, and I think the messaging behind it has to be leave no doubt, make yourself undeniable. When you, when you play on Saturday against the number 13 team in the country, it's going to be a tough matchup. But at the same time, people are doubting that you can go win that. Go win it. You're at home. You'll probably be in front of a nearly sold-out crowd. Sounds like the crowd's going to be huge. Yeah, Shout out Tiger fans. Yes. Shout out. I mean, based on what this team has accomplished, I, I they didn't deserve expect it. anything less. They, they deserve, deserve They deserve a massive home crowd against a top 15 team. Um, now, that game's going to be tough. We talked about it it's yesterday a little bit. Clemson shoots about 39% from three. P.J. Hall, they're big, can really step out. He's a three-level scorer. Um, you're going to need all hands on deck. And I think Malcolm Dandridge, um, I, wh- whoever you decide to assign to P.J. Hall, they're going to have to be on their P's and Q's because he could be a massive thorn in their side Is it Saturday. crazy to think 
that maybe Nick Jordan. I, th- I know that's be. that's not uh, not crazy at all because he's more movable. He right. can switch a little right. better than Malcolm. But I think Malcolm has shown that um, in these situations when he gets dragged out to the three point line, he sure. has enough savvy. He's been around the block a few times. He can guard those guys in those particular situations and guard them relatively well. But Nick Jordan is the movable power forward, if you will, that can I think handle. I think he can handle PJ Hall. The only thing I would have concerns about is once they get around the rim. He does have good post defense, Nick Jordan, but I do get a little concerned about P.J. Hall sort of bullying him down there because he has the size advantage, and he's definitely savvy with the ball in his hand. Yeah, I'm curious to see what the defensive assignments look like or the scheme looks like for Memphis that game because, to your point, you trust Malco in the paint, and you trust Nick Jordan more on the perimeter. So I wonder if they're maybe going to do – I'm just curious how that's going to work because really it's going to come down to keep those two guys out of foul trouble because they have to be out there to try to deal with Hall because if you don't have anybody – because he's he's going to be the main problem in the game. If you can somehow neutralize him, you give yourself a giant shot. Very much like the A&M game, it feels like an opportunity for Memphis. I think that they have the talent to make something happen here, go out and execute. Yep, their top two guys, though, P.J. Hall and Joe Girard, both shoot up above 40% from three. You have to make sure you nip that in the bud. Joe Girard, though, is an interesting evaluation when you talk about him dealing with this this uh, this Memphis team because Joe Girard has been around the block. He's a fifth-year guy. He was at Syracuse for his first four. He's definitely a great three-point shooter, no, de- no denying that, 44.4% from three so far this year. But athletically... He's never been the type of guy that goes and creates his shot by himself. He's a stand-and-shoot guy. He can come off a screen and make one. But I wonder if you can use the length and athleticism of the guys on this perimeter, whether it be you know David Jones, Caleb Mills, Javon Quinterly, whoever you throw in there, I wonder if you can use that to your advantage to neutralize a guy like Joe Girard. I think that's very possible. I know I'm doing the classic white guy comp to a white guy, but he reminds me of Peyton Pritchard. Like that's like he reminds me a little bit of Peyton Pritchard. Except <laughs> Peyton Pritchard, you know, on ball, he has a little more athleticism. He's able to drive into the paint. Joe Girard is not a guy who's going to break down a defense, get into the paint, and find open guys. <laughs> Does Pritchard all the time. break down a? a I think Peyton Pritchard in college, when you look at him when he was at Oregon, he definitely was that guy. I guess so. he definitely was that guy. Joe Girard is a is a great player. I don't want to take anything away from him, but I have a feeling that the athleticism, the length, the pressure that this Memphis team puts on ball may bother him at least a tad bit. You hope that Quinterly's quickness can can mess with him. Yes, and and if you get into a switch situation, I, I feel like if it's you know Nick Jordan or Malco, I think that they can hold their own against that type of guy. But we'll see. We'll see come Saturday. But it is a huge, huge matchup. You can add to your resume. Um, and then... If they beat a top 15 team in the country, that is going back to your undeniable, my leave no doubt conversation. There is no doubt left. They are undeniable. They are an AP top 25 team if they win this game on Saturday. They better be. Well, I, I don't even think there's, they will be. I wonder what, what the respect level is, though. Do you keep them at the sort of back end of the top 25, or do you throw them into the top 20 because that will be their fourth or fifth win against a very quality opponent? Like, where do you put them in? I still think we could be talking about disrespect, but I think it's undeniable that they'll be in the AP If they beat Clemson, they should be in the top 20. I think they should be. I mean. In the top 20. I could make an argument. Top 15. I could could make an argument resume-based that this is a top 15 team if they beat Clemson. You beat a top 15. You beat two other top 25 teams when they were ranked. 
Like there, there just comes a point where you have to put respect on their name. And beating this team, this Clemson team, who is undefeated, number 13 team in the country, if you beat them on Saturday, I think you finally get that respect attached to your name. But we will see what happens. Now, we'll talk about this with Jeff Calkins here in a second, but we have other things to discuss as well. Jeff Calkins. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 